It's so great to be here and just to share with you as we continue our series uh, entitled Amaze, which is going through the hard sayings of Jesus. Because the whole premise of this series is based on Mark chapter 10, verse 32. You know what that verse says? And those who followed Jesus were amazed. And as they followed him, they were afraid. So here's almost like a litmus test if you're following the Lord, okay? If you're following Jesus, is that you'll be amazed at what he's asking you to do, and you'll be afraid of the things that he's requiring of you. You'll be afraid to love your enemies. Can I get an amen, right? You'll be amazed that he's going to ask you to forgive and to bless your enemies. And so this is kind of like the, the heart behind the hard sayings of Jesus, that we're going to be in awe of following the Lord. And we're going to look through, open your Bibles, if you have your Bibles, um, to Luke chapter 10. If you don't, then you could go ahead and open your bulletins. And we're going to look through the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the hard saying is that we are to love our neighbor as ourself. Love our neighbor as ourself. Because in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus was asked, he's like, hey, what, what is the greatest commandment? He says, to love God and to what? love your neighbor you know about 200 years after jesus resurrected and went to be with the father uh, a lot of uh, rabbinic communities started getting together and they're like man there's about 613 <coughs> commandments from the old testament and they said you know there's 365 negative commandments meaning don't do this don't do this don't do this because every day we need to remind them not to do this and they have all these different things with the different types of laws but jesus says hey Let's keep it real. Let's keep the simple, simple. He says, love God, love people. That's all, that's all we got to do. And it's to love our neighbor. And so if love then is supposed to be central to a believer's life, to a Christ follower. And so, um, you know, how many of you guys have a, I'm pretty sure we all have a smartphone, right? And I love the advent of, of, of Google because you can ask anything and it's instant information. And you feel that much smarter, okay? So if I were to ask, when is the next Laker game? Oh, then, oh I, it's on mute. That's why. I, it was a test, okay? <laughs> it was a test. It, next game is tomorrow at 3 p.m. against the Grizzlies. Anyways, you know, Google is amazing because you get instant information right away. And one of the things I always ask, because I always forget, Yogurtland Hawaii Kai hours. And they're like, hey, closes at 8. I'm like, yes. And you always try to make it on time. But, you know, Google, a couple years ago, before they went to the Omnibar, they had actually had, you had to go to a Google um, website, google.com, and they had these things called predictive or search suggestions. Remember those things? That you try to begin to type something, food around, and you put H. Hala'iva, Honolulu, and, and it gives you suggestions and predicts what other people have typed in. And when you do a search on Google uh, suggestions, it, it shows, it shows um, things that are based on popular searches by other users. So these are common things that people search up. But it also, it can give us an authentic look into the mind of our culture of what people are Googling in 0 0.0032 right, of a second. So when you type, why are Christians so, and if you just start going alphabetically, 
why are, so, why are Christians so, you type the word A, the suggestion says, and this is what people have searched, why are Christians so angry, so annoying, so arrogant? C, why are Christians so cruel, so closed-minded, so crazy? D, why are Christians so defensive and divided? F, why are Christians so fake and full of hate? H, why are Christians so hypocritical, homophobic, and hostile? I, why are Christians so intolerant and ignorant? J, why are Christians so judgmental, R, so rude, S, so self-righteous, so selfish, so stubborn? And this is kind of like the kicker here. You type the word you and it says, why are Christians so unforgiving, so unloving, so unchristian? Why are Christians so unlike Christ? I believe it was Gandhi who says, I have no problem with Christ and his teachings. It's Christians that I have a problem with. Because we are to be marked by the greatest commandment, which is vertical, to love God, but secondly, to love our neighbor in the same way that we would love and cherish and care for ourselves. That is the degree to which God has called us to do. And we're amazed, because that's a hard saying, that we got, the way that I nurture and take care of myself and treat myself and look out for myself, that is the way that I'm supposed to love my neighbor. And so we're going to go to our text this morning. It's in Luke chapter 10. If you're able to stand, could you please stand? And we're going to read our text just in reverence and in honor of God's word. Just to remind ourselves, like, okay, now we're standing in reverence to scripture. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. This is, again, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And behold, a lawyer stood up to him to the test, saying, Teacher or rabbi, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Jesus asked. Verse 27, the lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor, here's the second part of the law, as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But he which is the lawyer, he was desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, Psh, who's my neighbor then? Jesus replied with a story, not an answer. He says, you know, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But, notice the contrasting particle here, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. When he saw him, he had compassion. Let's take note of that. Verse 34, he went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set on him his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii or denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. 
Verse 36, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. It's the word of the Lord, let's pray. And Lord, we need your help, God, because uh, we know a lot more than what we do. Lord, we're just filled with just a velocity of information and trivia, of minutia. We, we have all these details of different things, Lord. But Lord, we don't do them. Your word says in James that we have to be careful because if we hear the word and if we don't act and if we don't obey and if we don't apply, we deceive ourselves. We forget the condition that we came in before hearing the word. So I pray, Father, right now that you would give us ears to hear your word, give us eyes to see wonderful things from your law. Lord, would you give us a heart, not just to receive scripture, God, but give us a heart to welcome your word as truth, as God-inspired, God-breathed scripture. Lord, would you give us hands and feet to live it out so that we could become more like your son, Jesus, in everything that we do. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So how, what are some things that we could see here from the Good Samaritan? Because we all know just because you're familiar with something doesn't mean you necessarily understand it, okay? And the Good Samaritan is a familiar story, but oftentimes I think we miss the main point. There's a New Testament scholar, his name is Joel B. Green from Denver Seminary, and he says that, you know, a lot of the point of parables, it's supposed to have like a shock factor. It's supposed to shock you because you, you expect one thing, but another thing happens, that there's this surprise ending, that there's almost like an anti-hero that you never expected he becomes the hero. And this is what we see here in the parable of the Good Samaritan, okay? And there's uh, basically, for the sake of keeping it simple, I have three main points for you that we could see on how we could love our neighbor as ourselves, and that how we can live out what Jesus commanded and required of this lawyer, okay? Number one, would you write down, show compassion to anyone in need. If you want to love your neighbor as you want to love yourself, then you and I must show compassion to anyone in need. Look at verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came down to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Notice the reaction or the response of this Samaritan man. He had compassion when he saw him. And verse 37, Jesus says, He said to him, You go and do likewise. It's to have compassion and to do mercy to those who are in need. Because the parables, the Good Samaritan is pretty simple, right? Jesus says there was a lawyer. Now, a lawyer is not like a judicial expert at the law. A lawyer here means that he was a, a, a Pharisee, meaning he was an expert on the Torah or the law, meaning Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy 5. So, Back then, they weren't based, their laws weren't based on the Constitution. What was it based on? The Old, Command, the, the Old Testament, right? Which is the Torah. 
So this Torah then, uh, this lawyer, he's an expert in the law and he wanted to test Jesus. He wanted to see if he really understood what Jesus was talking about. And he says, hey, what must I do to inherit eternal life? How can I be saved? How can I make sure that after I die, when, when the Messiah comes, that I will be along with the righteous? He says, he's like, and I love how Jesus answers the question with a question, right? He goes, why? How do you read it? He goes, well, love the Lord with all your God, God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor at yourself. He goes, okay, you're done right. He's like, and go do that. He goes, okay, but he already knew that the... Jesus was revealing to himself that there's something about loving neighbor. And he said, you know what? Uh, who's my neighbor anyways? And he throws out this rhetorical question to just to kind of throw Jesus off. Like, who's my neighbor? Because in Leviticus chapter 9, it says that you're to do good, especially to your, you do good to your neighbor's spouse, do good to your neighbor's household, to their kids. But they, the rabbis, they call them midrash. Midrash is like a, a Jewish community or um, rabbis that would interpret um, the Old Testament or the law, and then they came like, you know what? Neighbor there means a fellow Jewish neighbor. It does not mean Gentiles. And so they had this, this prejudice against anybody that was not a Jew, that they were, there was an old Pharisaical saying that says, thank God that I am not a dog like a Gentile or a woman. And it was so prejudiced, it was so sexy, it was sexist, it was crazy. And so their understanding was, oh, okay, we love our fellow Jewish uh, national, you know, my fellow Jewish brother and sister. And then it's like, who's my neighbor? And he was trying to trick Jesus. Oh, watch. He's going to say it's, it's my fellow, fellow uh, Jew. He said, no, 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 no. And then he talked about a man who was going down from where? From Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, Jerusalem to Jer Jericho, it's about an 18-mile trek. Josephus says uh, it's about 16 miles, but from Jerusalem to Jericho, that would be, you would start off at 2,500 sea feet level, or above sea feet, and you would go down to negative 850, or 850 below sea level. And it would be a long winding road that you would descend, and you would go down to Jericho. And in that, in that path, or in that journey, if you were to go alone, you would probably get mugged. That's why you'd always try to go in a company. And so this man, he's like, okay, who's my neighbor? This man who got beat. And it says, and they beat him. And the word there in, in the Greek, the tense, it's a present tense verb, meaning it's they continue to beat him. And then he was so beaten up that it says that he was left half dead, that he was almost like a dead corpse. They left him half dead. It's like, okay. Point of a parable is to shock you. It's like, okay, and by, by chance, there was a Levite, or there was a priest, rather, a priest that would go and offer sacrifices to the temple. He saw the man that was beaten up, and what did he do? He walked to the other side. No reaction, no response. He saw him walk the other side. He's like, oh, okay. But then there was a fellow Jew there was a Levite who saw the man that was half beaten, left half for dead. 
he saw him and he also walked the other side. But he says, but there was a Samaritan. Now if you, if you need to understand what Samaritan is, Samaritans, they were considered like sellouts or traitors because remember when, when a Jewish nation, when the Hebrews, when they went into exile, they divided into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom, which is sometimes called Israel, and the southern kingdom called Judah. Now, Judah in Jerusalem, that's where the temple was, and that's where the people of God worshipped. And then the region in Samaria, other Jews settled up there, and they started compromising. We call that syncretism, where they started mixing worship of God with their own religion, and they started making up their own temple, their own sacrifices. And then, so the people, the, the the hardcore Jews, I'm like, man, no, th those guys are sellouts. They're half-breeds. They're traitors. They're not the real people of God. They're worse than Gentiles because they know to love God, but they don't. And so here's the crazy thing is that it is the Samaritan who shows mercy to the guy who was left half-beaten. You know, James chapter 2, verses 15 and 17, if we could go to that text, it says, if a brother, Dawson, por favor, uh, there we go, all right, slide 10, all right, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed, lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works is dead that you and i should show compassion to those who are in need three people sounds like a, a joke right going into a bar a jew not right a priest a levite and a samaritan they go they see the same thing two of them are unaffected only one responds with what compassion now, what is that word compassion? The, the Greek word for compassion is splagnezomai. It means to empathize. It means to have a great feeling for. It means to experience great affection for someone, to feel compassion for, to have pity, or to feel sympathy for someone, to have great love. Now, splagnezomai, the, no, the noun form of that is splagna. Splagna means intestines. Huh? Intestines, compassion, how does that make sense? In Acts chapter 2, it says that Judas hung himself, and because of the, the force, he says his splagna exploded. It just. So, track with me here. Compassion doesn't just feel bad for someone, compassion feels bad with someone. You, you elevate from sympathy to empathy. In fact, this is the word that was described in Luke chapter 15 of the prodigal son. That when the father, he saw that his son was a long way off, he felt compassion for him and he wore, ran towards him. It's, re it's described God's response to sinners coming back to him. The word compassion in Matthew chapter 9, he saw that people were hungry like sheep without a shepherd and Jesus was moved with what? Compassion. And then he sent his disciples and he prayed for them. 
what can we deduct from that? We could see that prayer ministry was birthed by compassion. We see the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus saw them. He's like, man, they've been with me for a couple days now. They haven't even anything to eat. Let's do a miracle. That Jesus' feeding ministry started off with what? Compassion, that he felt a great pain for people and where they were at. Let me ask you something. When you see someone in need, what is what rises up within you? I think if we could be honest, most of us... Uh, Respond with disgust, right? Like, oh, gosh, get away from me. Oh, you reek of alcohol. How many days, how many weeks has it since you've been showered? If you come encounter a homeless person, if you come someone with mental illness, I'm like, oh, gosh, they just, yeah, yeah, stay your distance. That we don't feel compassion for people. And Jesus, this is the game changer, folks. That if you want to be able to love your neighbor as yourself, you must have this thing called compassion. Jesus says, do it likewise. The difference was that we all see need every day. The game changer is how we're going to respond. And Jesus responded with compassion. Number two, would you write down, choose compassion over religiosity and hurry. Okay? Choose compassion over religiosity and hurry. Now, you notice I didn't say religion because religion is good. I think there's kind of been a backwards trend where religion is bad, Jesus over religion. But James chapter 2 says, man, pure undefined religion is this, that you take care of the orphans and the widows. So religion is good, okay? Yes, it's about relationship. But um, religion talks about core beliefs, but religiosity, what I'm referring to is, it refers to activity, religious activity to the extreme. It is an inappropriate devotion to rituals and traditions of a religion. To be uh, religious, religious yeah, is excessively or sentimentally religious or to practice one's religion in a meddlesome way that you're just so caught up with the law. Now, what, what do I mean by this? Look at Matthew chapter 12, okay? Matthew chapter 12, Jesus went on from there and he entered their synagogue. I love how Matthew writes that, that he went into, quote-unquote, enemy territory, okay? That Jesus was trying to make a point, and as he entered their synagogue, a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, Hey, Jesus, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? He said to them, Hey, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is man more than sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Now, I read through a couple of commentaries, and they were saying that maybe one of the reasons why the priest and the Levite didn't touch the man is because he was beaten up so bad, he was almost half dead, he was on the brink of dying, and that if you were to touch a corpse, you would be ceremonially unclean. They're like, oh, no, I can't, I can't help him. I'm going to be, un I myself, I'm going to be unclean. I can't, I, I, so they just walked the other side. Where Jesus was like, hey, you, uh, choose the good portion. We could either be merry 
or excuse me, we could either be Martha doing stuff for God, being busy, doing quote-unquote ministry and, and getting things done and doing a lot of stuff with bu- being a busybody, or we could choose the good portion, catch the heart of God, and be a Mary and sit at the feet of Jesus. And so this, the Levite and the priests, they, were prob- they probably chose their religious, religiosity over compassion and mercy. But also, I think you choose compassion over hurry. That if we're so caught up, and if we're always going here to there, and we're always so busy, we will never take the time to see those who are in need and have compassion for them. You know, in 1970, there was a study done by a Princeton professor in Princeton Seminary. He asked for volunteers for an extra assignment. So about half the class met him at the library and they received their assignments. Check this out. The professor divided the students into three groups of five each. There were so 15 of them, okay? He gave the first group envelopes telling them to proceed immediately across campus to Stuart Hall. He told them, hey, you guys have 15 minutes and if they didn't arrive on time, it would affect their grade. After they left a minute or two later, he, he handed out envelopes to five others. They were also to go over to Stuart Hall, but you know what? They had 45 minutes instead of 15. And the third group, it's like, you know what? You guys have three hours to get to Stuart Hall. The students weren't aware of it, but the professor had arranged for three drama students to meet them along the way. Close to the beginning of their walk, one of the drama students had his hands on his head and was moaning aloud as if in great pain. About halfway to Stuart Hall, on the steps of the chapel, the seminary students passed a man who was lying face down as if unconscious. Finally, on the steps of Stuart Hall, the third drama student was acting out a seizure. And here it is. In the first group of students, those who had only 15 minutes to get across campus, now these are Princeton Seminary doctorate students, no one stopped to help. In the second group, two students stopped to help. In the last group, the one that had three hours for their assignment, all of the students stopped to help at least one person. And the professor had clearly shown that these seminarians, and here it is, that hurry hinders ministry. That if you and I are always in a hurry, we will never see the world and the need around us. USC professor of um, ethics, Dallas Willard, was asked, what is the... What is one thing, what is the most important thing that we could do so that we could be connected to God and that we could have spiritual disciplines? What is one thing? You know what his response was? It wasn't read your Bible. It wasn't pray. It wasn't doing worship. He says, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. I think the Levite and the priest, they were probably done offering sacrifice to the worship and they just wanted to get home. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. If you and I are always on the go, we will never stop and see us like, hey, 
you know, my daughter, my son, there's just something different. Their, their countenance has changed. I should go and talk to them. I should go take them out. I should go pray for them. You see, if you and I are always in a hurry, a hurried life means a hurried soul. And we will never catch and see and have compassion for the world around us if we're always in a hurry. So choose compassion over religiosity. Choose compassion over hurry. And lastly, we'll go ahead and close with this. This is probably the most um, amazing one, <laughs> fearful one, is lavishly bless your enemies. <clears throat> lavishly bless your enemies. Why would I say that? Let's look at the Samaritan in verse 34. So the Samaritan went to him after he had compassion on him, right? He went to him, not around the other side of the road, but went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, meaning, man, this 18-mile journey, <laughs> the Samaritan probably walked instead of riding in the donkey, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Let me pause there for a second. Now the word inn there, or um, like a, some people think, oh, it's an inn, like Holiday Inn, right? Or Marriott or something, or Royal Hawaii. That's not what an inn was. It's, it was more like a, a pit stop, okay? That if you're so tired that you just needed to go and, and rest for a couple moments, you know, pit stops, you know, in the mainland, they're pretty nasty, right? The restrooms are nasty. It's usually pretty unkept. But there was this inn, okay, and he took care of him. Check this out, verse 35, and the next day. What does that mean? He spent the whole night redressing his bandages. He spent the whole night putting oil, giving him water, hydrating him. He spent the whole night putting oil and wine and making sure that he was uh, disinfecting the wound. He spent the whole night after bringing him to the inn, and he says what? And he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. Now, they found literature like parchments and stuff that they found the archaeological digs and they found a, a parchment that says that an inn, one night at an inn, right, like that, was one thirty-second of a denarii. A denarii was a full day's wage, okay? And the Samaritan woman, or man, excuse me, lavishly gave how many? Two denarii, one thirty-second. That means he gave enough money for two months' stay for this person who he never met, never knew, but just had compassion for, lavishly blessed and loved a stranger. He says, take care of him, whatever you, and whatever more you spend, I will pay you when I come back. You know, it was in uh, 2004, um, before I even got married, I think we're already, in, I don't think we're quite, oh yeah, I think we're engaged already. Um, it was on a Friday night, Friday afternoon, I used to live in in LA and uh, downtown and that's where our church was it was like in inner city next to Echo Park like yeah so 
we'd always get a, a lot of um, homeless people and those who are in need. And so uh, it was around 4, 4.45, 4.50, I get a knock on our office, um, our church office. And our church had this big metal cage because <laughs> we had to protect it. I mean, I kid you not, okay? We had a Saturday, Friday night service at our church before, and there was a drive-by across the street, and the police had to go, there's a drive-by, we heard, pa, 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 and then, yeah, that's how crazy it was, all right? And so, we had to be super protected. Anyway, so I heard it knocking the doors around 4.50, a, a guy comes in, and you could tell, it's like, oh, gosh, you know, he was just kind of a little bit worn down, he looked tired, and he had this, like, beard, and he, he and he just wasn't well kept. I'm like, oh gosh. He goes, hey, uh, do you know where uh, this travel agency is at? I'm like, uh, I don't know. And he's like, well, they close at five and I need to be there. I'm like, okay, uh, let's go in my office. Let's go take a look. So I went to MapQuest. How many of you guys remember MapQuest? All right. So I went to MapQuest. I'm like, oh, it's about four miles in Vermont. You have to head north. And he goes, oh, okay. Where's the nearest bus stop? because uh, I have to be there by five. I'm like, uh, I got to go. I got to finish. You know, I got to finish my sermon, my PowerPoint. He's like, well, uh, I don't, you're not going to make it by bus. Why don't I, I'll give you a ride. And so he got all his bags. He had bags, had a backpack, and, you know, and I could tell, you know, uh, he hasn't bathed in a couple days. And so we were driving, and um, we ended ended up going to the travel agency and we were there around 5.15 because of LA traffic Friday afternoon and it was closed. And he's like, okay, well, I guess, all right, I guess I'll be sleeping on the bus stop under the, under the, the chair over there. I'm like, and I felt an impression from the Lord, like amazed, right? Amazed and afraid. It's like, let him stay at your place. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm like, you know what, man? I can't let you sleep on the streets. Like, go, we'll go hang out. Let me call my roommates real quick. See if uh, you could stay at our place. So my roommate's like, yeah. So on the way, on the drive to our house, um, this guy, I found out he is a missionary. And so for two weeks, he built homes in Mexico. He was based off of YWAM in the Big Island. And he did a missions trip and he took the bus from Mexico. He had to fund his own money. He didn't shower. He's been on the road. He couldn't get a food to eat. He hasn't bathed. He couldn't get a place to put his head, you know, like, and I was like, oh man, that's too bad. So it's like, hey, he's... You could sleep in my bed. Here's my bedroom. You could lock it. I'll sleep on the couch. Go take a shower. And after that, we'll go get taco trucks. Have you been to Leo's Taco? And he goes, you probably had Mexican food. No, we all we ate was cafeteria food, you know, at the place, at the center. And we didn't really get good Mexican food. It's like, dude, let's go get Leo's Taco trucks. And so we got Leo's Taco trucks. And we got them quesadilla, carne asada burritos. And then we were just having fun. And then he slept. And then brought him um, to give him a ride to LAX I even he's like oh what CD is that that's cool I'm like oh it's Latin jazz it's Papo Vasquez I'm like you know what here take my CD it's cool I have it ripped he's like oh thank you so much 
a couple days later, he sends a handwritten letter. He goes, you did not know this, but I was about to quit ministry and stop being a missionary because I felt like I was taking care of God's people, but God wasn't taking care of me. And he says, you know, I'm based off of Youth with a Mission on the Big Island. And he said, um, by the way, if you ever want to go to Hawaii, here's John 3.16 in Hawaiian pigeon. I'm like, pigeon? Like a bird? Right? He goes, and then I read it. For God so loved the people. I'm like, what? This is caveman talk. What is this pigeon all about? Right? And I was reading it and... You know, Ephesians 3 says, man, to him who is able to do far more than you can ask for or even imagine. I would never imagine, I don't know, maybe we wouldn't be here today, I don't know, but like to be able to have compassion for someone, to be able to walk with Jesus and be amazed and be afraid of what he's asking you to do, but yet to, to walk in that obedience, that's what the adventure of following Jesus is all about. You know, Matthew chapter 18, that Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? And I forgive him. And here comes Peter, as many as seven times, seven meaning the perfect number, seven days of creation, that's a complete act of forgiveness. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but what, 70 times seven. That's how many you should forgive. So be amazed following the Lord. Be lavish in forgiveness, in blessing and loving your enemies. Choose compassion over comfort. Choose compassion over religiosity. Choose compassion over hurry. Love the person right in front of you. And man, this is the greatest adventure you will ever take is following Jesus. When you walk with him and he's like, go there. I'm like, okay, Lord, you know, and just have him lead you and guide you and have this dynamic relationship where you, you speak, he listens, he speaks, and you listen, and you guys just walk together, filled with the power of the Spirit to be his disciples. But it starts first with loving him, loving each other. Amen? Let's go ahead and pray.